Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. This is Diane Estabrook, staff writer for McKnight's Home Care Daily. Earlier this week, a number of healthcare organizations called the Healthcare Leadership Council called on all providers, including those in home care, to advance health equity in the U.S. Health equity has long been a primary focus of California-based Scan Group and Scan Health Plan, which offers Medicare Advantage plans to underserved seniors. I sat down with CEO Sachin Jane to talk about the challenges and the opportunities of advancing health equity. Diane, I think one of the challenges is that it's way easier to make a statement and call for action than it is to actually take action. And um, I would say more and more organizations need to really put their money where their mouth is, and they need to tie executive compensation to whether or not they're actually achieving health equity. Um, and that's something SCAN has done. Uh, we, two years ago, introduced a program where we were trying to reduce dis- disparities in medication adherence. We actually tied uh, uh, 10% of everyone's bonuses to whether or not we actually closed gaps in medication adherence among African-American and Latinx members of SCAN. And, um, you know, I will tell you, there's nothing more aligning than tying executive pay um, to a a particular outcome. And, um, And, you know, we struggled for the first eight months of the year to achieve results. And then, you know, because there was a lot at stake for us individually, as well as, you know, from a moral perspective as an organization, um, we were able to make, you know, the kinds of improvements we were hoping to make. But I have to be honest with you, Diane, when I hear, you know, I have a ton of respect for HLC, and I think they're in a very important multi-stakeholder group. But more more broadly, I am I'm tired of, of the sort of posturing around this, the organizational statement making. Um, and, you know, you saw, you saw it after George Floyd. You saw so many organizations go on record and say, oh, we really care about health equity. Um, but when it comes down to it, they're not doing anything differently. And so I think we have to demand more as a society um, when it comes to health care and, and actually like force organizations to do to do right. What exactly is health equity when we think about it? And it sounds like it's everybody gets treated the same, sort of like diversity, equity, inclusion. Well, is it is it that simple? Well, it's it's you know, everyone gets treated the same, but then there's also, I think, you know, a careful evaluation of your results and transparency around, you know, how you perform clinically and administratively for different populations. And then it's creating action plans, you know, within organizations to actually like close gaps that you observe. And uh, again, I think we've like, as an industry, I heard someone recently call health equity, the newest hustle. Um, And I think that that's a little bit what it's become. It's become this thing that you know, we have equity officers, we have people, we have equity institutes, we have all kinds of people occupying all kinds of jobs focused on equity, we have research grants. Um, But when you look at the true level of action taking place at the organizational level, there's very little. Our, you know, you heard about our medication adherence efforts. That was our effort two years ago. This last year, our effort was to launch um, an LGBTQ plus senior focused Medicare Advantage product. Um, and that was our Affirm product. We were able to launch that. We got 500 members into that product. Um, we've we've got you know access to a differentiated formulary, access to differentiated services through our partnership with Included Health. I, again, um, you know you have to kind of move not just 
your messaging at the top level, but you have to move your product strategy, your network strategy to align more with these, I think, very important objectives. I'm glad you brought a firm up because that was my next question. Um, you launched that last fall. How is that going so far and how many people have signed up for that plan? It's going great. We, you know, I, we have 500 members, um, you know, 400 who are new to scan, 100 who are existing scan members who switched into the product. Uh, we've got, uh, I think, a lot of people excited about the possibility of actually building community within those members. Um, you know, when we started this, we weren't sure how many folks would sign up and um, and raise their hands and identify as being LGBTQ plus as an older adult. But you know, remarkably, we now have a com potential community of 500 plus older adults who um, who have articulated a specific need to have their healthcare experience line up with their gender identity or sexuality. And that's what we're going to deliver for them. So if some of these people are involved or enrolled in this MA plan, what are you doing differently or what are you offering them differently in their home that you would not be offering somebody else? What are they getting? So it's a different network of providers. It's a different formulary of medications. Um, it's uh, access to specific behavioral health services that are focused on serving the LGBTQ plus older adult population that we're achieving through our partnership with Included Health. I think importantly, it's a sense of identity and belonging. I think these are folks who came of age in the 70s or 80s when you know being a homosexual was highly stigmatized when you know the idea that there would be specific products and services and offerings for you from a healthcare perspective was a completely foreign concept and so it's you know i think the, one of the most significant things we're delivering to people is a sense of belonging and 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 access as far as what's specifically being offered in the home scan offers a number of different benefits to older adults in their home some of them are food benefit meal benefits some of them are clinical care benefits and you know again those extend to our affirm members as well and, and I got to think that when you're reaching out to this community, you don't want to other them, as you might say. They need to be treated like everybody else. But you, but you again, have to target services specific to them. Is that a challenge? Yeah, I mean, you're actually, kind of walking a fine line, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair point. I, I, not to kind of plug our product name, but our, you know, we're not othering them, we're affirming them. <laughs> um, and I think it's it's largely about letting them know that they can be proud of who they are and that, you know, we are here to serve them in a specialized way. Um, and again, I, we weren't sure when we launched this product, how it was going to resonate. I think it's resonated really well. We've got, you know, you know, countless member stories of people who are saying, I never felt heard. I never felt seen, but here I am. And somebody going into the home, uh, a provider, um, how do they present themselves? How do they how are the, how do they present themselves and be respectful to that demographic? Um, well, I think it's treating them a, like it's it's treating them like people. And to your yeah. point, it's not otherizing them, right? It's giving them the same decency, respect, and concern that they would give to anybody else. And so, um, you know, I think you know part of what we have to do is make available, you know, services and offerings that are specific to folks if they want to access them. But part of it is also just continuing to operate with the level of decency that we would all want from our healthcare experiences. And, um, you know, some of that shows up in, you know, the questions that we ask them, um, you know, and that are sensitive to the fact that 
they may have different medical needs. They may have, you know, a different set of social problems, a different set of psychological issues that may have emerged from the sense of denial and the experiences they had, you know, throughout their, um, you know, their, their lives and their careers. So I think that's, um, uh, you know, something that we can, we can definitely build into this in, in terms of its delivery is making sure that we are being empathetic to the you know, kind of specific needs that arise from being a L- member of the LGBTQ plus population of older adults. Let's pivot. You announced a combination um, late last year with Care Oregon. Um, the two organizations are, are you, the two of you looking to, you know, further your expansion, you're serving mostly the West Coast now. Are you looking to expand into other other states um, and serve any different underserved populations that you might not currently be serving? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I would say, you know, Medicaid is, um, uh, is a, a very important federal and state program that serves, you know, people who have um, a combination of healthcare issues and um, you know potentially um, a, a number of other issues, and and I think the opportunity for us to serve people who are lower income, who have access to care issues, um, through you know the kinds of models that we've developed both at Scan and Care Oregon um, is really exciting, and the opportunity to take some of the special magic and sauce that I think both of these organizations have to new geographies is super compelling and wakes me up every morning with a lot of excitement about what we're doing. Um, what I will say is that, you know, our immediate focus is really on getting deeper in the states that we're in, um, doing more for the people of Oregon, doing more for the people of California, Arizona, Nevada, and Texas, um, where we now have a, a compelling presence. And um, I would say one of the most exciting examples of that is the work that we're doing with Healthcare in Action, which is our homeless medical group. You know, we talk a lot about care in the home, but if, you're, if your home is the streets, then what we're really talking about is care in the streets. And um, I would say, you know, our Healthcare in Action medical group, um, you know, serves over a thousand people here in Southern California. And so, some of what we hope to accomplish through HealthRight is to take Healthcare in Action to all the geographies in which SCAN operates and as well, and, and, where, and where HealthRight will ultimately operate in, in collaboration, um, you know, through our combination with, uh, with Care Oregon. You've launched a PACE program too, and, um, you know, that's a program that seems popular, although it has not expanded as I think everybody thought it might. Um, what do you see the potential of PACE? And do, and do you see more states adopting it and more centers opening? Yeah, I mean, PACE is one of these like hidden gems in the U.S. healthcare system where, you know, there's documented improvements in kind of outcomes that really matter to patients, in particular, this notion of, um, you know, remaining healthy and independent in your home. Um, what we know from every you know kind of pace model, successful pace model, is that when done right, you know people don't end up living in you know in institutional settings and they get to stay longer in their homes because of the intensive wraparound services that pace programs actually offer people from a food perspective, a medical care perspective, a community socialization, adult daycare perspective. Um, you know what we've seen over the last couple of years is that there's a, a lot of people who've sensed financial opportunity in pace and have taken the industry in a, in, in kind of an untoward direction. And, um, and I've cut corners in their implementation of pace. Um, and I think the opportunity we have with my place health, which is a new entity that we launched in collaboration with, with uh, Commonwealth care Alliance, but was really incubated within scan is, um, is to build a different kind of pace model that 
you know, takes advantage of some of the virtual care offerings that are now ubiquitous, um, but also takes the best elements of of the PACE model, um, which is really around building community, creating a sense of belonging and purpose for people, and also integrating their medical care and, and, and bring it to as many places as possible. I think that's one of the really, really exciting things going on right now. And I think our combination with Care Oregon actually creates the opportunity for us to bring that model um, to Oregon as well. We saw late last week, um, Bob Casey and Debbie Dingle reintroduce the Better Care, Better Jobs Act, which would funnel money, um, you know, about $300 million into HCBS, which was far less than, um, you know, a year or two ago, we were hoping the Biden administration might be pumping more money into that area. You know, that kind of got tabled at the end of 2021. Do you think that there's any chance that this kind of funding might get through this Congress either this year or next year? I'm not a political soothsayer. Uh, I think if our Congress is smart, uh, they would certainly think about that. Um, you know, I do think we have to, you know, there's a ton of effort and movement around bringing more and more care to the home and communities. I do think um, we need to be thoughtful and careful about which kind of care resides in communities and home and which kind of community resides in homes and which kind of community, which kind of care resides in um, in facilities. I, I I worry sometimes about the toxic positivity that has emerged around home-based care delivery that ignores some of the challenges, which is you know specifically that some patients are better cared for in outside of the home. Some people don't have the full set of services or support from a family perspective to remain in their homes. So, you know, again, I think we've got to just be thoughtful about what's right for individuals. The Biden administration announced earlier this week that it's going to be ending the COVID PHE in May. And you, Scan, released a roadmap a little while ago um, about what you'd like to see continuing a roadmap, so to speak. And you talked about telehealth um, and expanding the scope and practice of um, program requirements. Um, you know, I think you may be referring to a report of the Scan Foundation, which exactly. is uh, yeah, yeah. Which, is, which is separate from Scan. You know, it's a part of. Uh, the scan group, but operates, you know, quite independently. But, you know, I've, I've, I've seen, um, you know, some of, some of that, what came out of that report. And I, you know, agree 100% with its recommendations. I mean, I think we do need to take the lessons that we've learned from the PHE and make sure we're not losing them, you know, as we emerge from the post-pandemic, you know, uh, or post-PHE uh, in, environment. And um, I think telehealth is one of them. Uh, you know, but but I think we also have to take a much bigger look at what's going on in healthcare in our country right now. And you know, while I I'm not naive enough to think that we'll ever have at least in the next you know couple of years major fundamental health reform, um, we do need to start to think about you know what does the health system of the future look like. Um, and I think co- the pandemic gave us some some view into what some of the opportunities are. Some of it is moving more care to the home. Some of it's moving more care to, um, you know, uh, uh, out of, at more care out of expensive facilities and and delivering it more virtually. I do think, you know, I'm on the board of a company called Q Health, which is a, a diagnostics company. And I actually think some of the innovation to enable home care really is going to come from companies like Q that are developing kind of the tools and technology that will enable more care to be delivered at home. I think a lot of quote unquote home care right now is 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 not exactly home care, meaning, you know, it's not actually saving you a visit. So if I were to go to the doctor's office and I, you know, had a 
prescription to get a swab, you know, I would still need to go to a Quest laboratory to get that swab or have, or, and, or, or my doctor's office to get the swab. And then it has to get submitted to a lab and then it gets processed, you know, at, in the home setting, you know, if, if I'm a, if I have a telehealth visit with you and then I, and then I go and then I'm ordered to go and get a lab test, I'm still going to another facility to get care. And so, again, I think some of what's going to enable the home care revolution that so many of us really want is going to be new tools and technologies like the Q health test um, and, and others like it. And I think that's a, a, you know, a very important, I think, next dimension of, of what needs to be developed. I, I think the technology innovation exists, but it hasn't necessarily scaled to the extent that we need it to. Um, and, and, you know, I think a lot of new diagnostics are being developed around flu, COVID, you know, cardiometabolic diseases that will enable people to not necessarily have to travel to facility for their care. And it, uh, uh, are analytics part of it too, to know the, you know, take a look at what's going on in the home and what kind of care needs to be rendered, how much is, is right? You bet. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, and, and, and for which populations, right? And so, um, again, I think there, there, there's a segmentation exercise that needs to take place. Great. Sachin Jane, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Diane. It was great to be with you again. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com.